I have to tell you, I'm just a little bit distracted this morning. Um, uh, really excited about uh, this message. We had a great first service together. Just everybody hungry and digging in together. It was, it was awesome. Uh, but about a month ago, I told you that um, for many, many years, uh, my family has gone to the beach in the summer. We go for a couple of weeks, and that uh, got to open that door a long time ago. It's, it's this kind of the thing I look forward to. And for a lot of different reasons, we weren't able to do that this summer. And so um, if you're a person who... who God speaks to you, and the beach beckons you, and it calls you. If You know who you are. I don't have to sell you on that. You understand if that's you. Uh, I'm one of those people. And so um, as we kind of moved through that season and didn't go this summer, I, I just felt like I needed to make an adjustment. So uh, today, immediately after this service, I get in the car, and I take my family to the beach for about 24 hours. And we come back tomorrow night. But I got to tell you, I'm, I'm a little bit excited about it. I'm, just, I'm a little bit excited. And the forecast just keeps getting better and better and better. So Lord willing, by around 4 o'clock, 4.30 today, I'm going to be sitting on the beach. And I don't care if it rains, I'll still be sitting there. Listen, we've been talking this whole series, we spent the last four weeks pulling back the curtain, talking about our core values, really talking about how do we behave as a church. You know, most evangelical churches, we've all kind of have the same mission. We believe that Jesus gave his mission through the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. We all have the same mission, but we express it in different ways. Just like God created you and I differently, we each uh, are called to live out our faith a little bit uniquely in the way that God wired us. Uh, as a church, it's similar. We have core values that kind of embody, how do we do this mission? How does that look different, uh, maybe from our church to the next church, what's important to us. So we've talked about how we do that, how we as Daybreak uniquely achieve the mission of Christ and how God has designed us to do that. And we base this whole series off of uh, the idea that we are. Who are we as a church? And, and uh, you know, if you're a Penn State fan, you know when we say we are, you say we are Penn State, right? Okay, good. I noticed it's a little weaker this morning uh, after yesterday's game. So, uh, <laughs> Yesterday, they needed every we are we could possibly muster to get us across the finish line. It was a great game. Uh, for a moment, I thought we might be yelling, we aren't. Now, I guess we'd, we'd still be we are, but just a little discouraging. Hey, that was, that was a great, uh, great game, great way to start the season. But I think we have to identify and, and kind of solidify who has God called us to be as a church family? How do we identify with this group of believers? Who are we together as God's church so uh, we've been talking about these core values of ours this month, uh, and I'm going to go backwards because that's the way we chose to do the series. We started with our fourth core value, uh, leaps of faith are taken here, is, our core is the core value, and we said we are, as Daybreak, we are faith-filled followers of Jesus. And then uh, a couple weeks ago, we said, uh, we talked about our value, people are developed here. And I said, we are people developers. That's part of how God has uniquely wired us and designed us. Then last week, we talked about our core value. Relationships are vital here. And we said, we are family. Jason brought that message of how we're family together. It's just part of how we do life, how we behave as we do ministry together. And then this week, we're going to talk about this core value that was so evidenced in the life of Jesus, so much a part of his ministry and, and just who he was. And that, Everyone is welcome here is the value. We are on this journey together. You know, if you are new with us today, let me reassure you of something. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, you are welcome to seek God with us as a church family. You're welcome to seek God with us because the truth is we all have challenges. We all have struggles. We all have hurts in our life. You and I, we all have a sin problem that apart from God can't be remedied. All right? We're all the same in that way. We're all people in need of grace. 
you're here, if you're looking for a new day, you're welcome to seek that new day with us. If your soul longs for something more in life, you're welcome to join us on the journey to discover and deepen a life-changing relationship with Jesus that will transform you. So maybe when I extend that invitation today, you wonder, is that for real? Like, is that invitation really for me? Why would we be so inclusive? I mean, don't most churches get pretty exclusive? They're kind of like a club. Some people are allowed in. Some people aren't allowed in. That invitation is real because that's who Jesus was. Jesus welcomed anyone who wanted to experience new life in him. It was clear throughout all of scripture. That was his invitation. Anyone who wants to come after me can follow me. It's open for everyone. You know, when we look at the life of Jesus, we could talk about how the time when Jesus welcomed a crowd of children into his presence and he just loved on them and kind of served them and had fun with them. Well, why is that unusual? Well, Jesus loved kids, took the time to focus on kids in a culture that was very adult-centered, where kids didn't have a lot of value. And everything, everyone who watched Jesus interacting with that group of kids thought that was foolishness for a rabbi to take his time and get down and be with the kids. We could talk about that time. We could talk about the time that Jesus welcomed and cared for a woman at the well, which was inappropriate in that culture for a man to have that kind of connection with a woman, much less a woman from a different culture. And she was an outcast, this woman, because she had been rejected and used by so many men. She was just hanging on by a thread. She was desperately trying to make it in life. And Jesus welcomed her. We could talk about the time that Jesus went to a party thrown by a guy named Matthew. And this was a guy who all the religious people in town, they all hated him. And Jesus went to his party and he hung out with all of Matthew's unreligious friends. And that's a great story because Matthew actually becomes one of the closest followers of Jesus. And he writes about the story and life of Jesus and it becomes the first book in the New Testament. And it got started because Jesus went to the party of an unreligious guy and said, you're welcome. You're welcome with me. But today, we're going to focus in on the story of a guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus' story is found in Luke chapter 19. And, and of all the stories that we could look at, at, the three that I mentioned, and there are so many more encounters that Jesus had with people who were far from God, people who, who would be your, the last person that anyone would ever expect that Jesus would interact with. I like Zacchaeus's story the best for many different reasons that we're going to tune into today. And that's where we're going to begin. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. If you haven't taken out your outlines from your, your worship guide today, you might want to do that. We'll help you follow along. You can open your Bibles to Luke 19. We're just going to work our way down through as we kind of look at the story of Zacchaeus today. Let me start in verse 1. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Okay, so I've been to Israel a few times, and so I'm a very visual person. So whenever I read something in the scripture, I kind of, and they, they name a location, and I try to picture it in my mind. So just so you can kind of set a little context here, it says, Jesus entered Jericho. So Jericho is one of the lowest places on earth, um, sea level, as speaking in sea, what am I trying to say here? Somebody help me out. It's 
Elevation-wise, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. It's one of the lowest places on our... It's at the northern point of the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is one of the lowest places elevation-wise on Earth. The Dead Sea is actually below sea level. And that's an amazing thing in and of itself. So if you remember, Jerusalem is known as a city on a hill. So Jesus was coming from Jerusalem down to Jericho. So he was going from one of the highest places elevation-wise in Israel, one of the highest places, to really the lowest place in Israel. And that journey, it wasn't a long journey. Um, However, it was a steep journey. And actually, Jesus would have most likely had to go through a place that David referred to as the valley of the shadow of death. As David was growing up as a shepherd and wrote some of the Psalms, he would have been overlooking this road uh, where he was, uh, that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And it was called the valley of the shadow of death because it was a steep and crooked path that followed a, um, a kind of a brook that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho. An incredible place. But as you picture this, Jesus is coming. He's made this journey. He's coming into this town of Jericho. And he runs into this guy named Zacchaeus. Uh, He has this encounter with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And some of you may remember that we've talked about how tax collectors were received by people in the first century. Let me just give you a little background on that. The Roman government would come in and they would occupy a foreign nation. And they needed to collect money from the people that they were oppressing in order to be able to fund their wars and to be able to forward their colonization efforts because Rome wanted to kind of take over the planet. That was their goal. But they were smart. Rather than having the Romans try to take money or collect taxes from the people that they were colonizing, what they would do is they would employ citizens of the country who were already connected to the people, and then they would tell them, you can collect as much money as you want in taxes as long as Rome gets what it wants from the, uh, the people. So I want you to think about this. Imagine that your next tax bill comes, but it's not based on what's fair. It's not based on what everyone else pays. It's based on how much the tax collector wants to soak you for, okay, on that particular time. It's just random. You never know what it's going to be, and you're told this is what you're going to pay, and then you're required to pay it. And if you don't pay... This guy who was your neighbor or was kind of a part of your community, what he'll do is he calls the Roman soldiers and they show up at your house and they extract that money from you one way or another. So you know you don't have a choice in this. You know you're either going to give it or it's going to be taken from you. These people make the IRS look like lightweights, okay? This is is how they operated back then. And because of all this, Zacchaeus was an outcast in his community. He was a tax collector. He was an outcast. Now, sometimes... When we think about Zacchaeus, you and I, we think, well, Zacchaeus deserved to be an outcast. I mean, look how he behaved. But I want you to take a pause this morning for just a minute. And I want you to think about a time in your life where you experienced being the person that felt like an outcast. I just want you to think back to a season of your life where you felt like a person who was on the outside looking in. Maybe middle school or high school felt that way for you. You felt like you were always trying to fit in but you just never quite found your spot. Maybe you felt that way in your family of origin. You were always trying to please your parents or impress your siblings, but you still always felt like you were on the outside looking in, never quite accepted. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're an adult and you still feel like whatever circles you're in, you're kind of an outsider looking in. And maybe you feel that way because of those experiences you had when you were younger. You just never quite know if you're acceptable. Just never quite know that you feel like you're part of the in-group. And this is Zacchaeus. I just want you to forget 
for a minute about Zacchaeus' lifestyle and who he was as a tax collector, I want you to think about where he, who he was as a person. Zacchaeus was unpopular. And as far as his countrymen were concerned, Zacchaeus worked for the enemy. His wealth came from stealing from his own people. Which is all very ironic because in Hebrew, Zacchaeus' name actually means pure one. <laughs> pure one. But Zacchaeus had come to a place where he wanted something more for his life. He was tired of feeling stuck. He was tired of feeling like the person who was the outcast. And I think the scripture doesn't tell us this, but I know that in other places in scripture, they said the news of Jesus had spread throughout that whole region. And so as Jesus would come into a town and people knew he was coming, there would just be crowds that would flock to see Jesus. And I believe that Zacchaeus must have heard the stories about Jesus welcoming people about Jesus healing people, about Jesus loving people, messy people. And I bet Zacchaeus thought for himself, I need to see Jesus. I need to see him for myself. We'll continue in verse three. It says this, he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And some of you are singing the song, Zacchaeus was a week. No, you know it. So apparently Zacchaeus was a vertically challenged guy. And some of you know what that's like. You come to church and you're standing trying to look around the person to see the screens or to see forward. It was tough for Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus decides he's going to climb a tree in order to see Jesus. Remember, Zacchaeus is a grown man. He is a wealthy man, and he's climbing a tree. So this is probably not his most dignified moment in his life. And Jesus sees Zacchaeus, and he looks up, and he starts to talk to Zacchaeus. And do you know what I think Zacchaeus was experiencing or what he must be thinking in that moment? It's kind of like this moment where you had these hopes and you showed up somewhere, but Zacchaeus in that moment must have been like, is, is Jesus, is he really talking to me? Does he, does he know who I am? And he's still really talking to me in this moment. I think it was one of those moments where everything just kind of came together for Zacchaeus. And I want to stop for just a second because this is, this is an important thing to look at. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to saying, Jesus, I want to be like you. I want to follow you. Zacchaeus takes a chance on Jesus, not because he thinks he's done anything that merits or deserves God giving him a chance. He takes a chance because he's heard that Jesus welcomes people like him. He's heard that Jesus welcomes people who are far from God, that Jesus welcomes people with really messy lives. He heard that Jesus welcomes people who don't have their act together. And the reason why Jesus welcomes people like that is to help them make a connection with God and for them to have healing and hope and love and value in their lives. This is the next blank in your outline this morning, but if we are followers of Jesus, we must be people who welcome others to join us on the journey to discover and deepen our relationship with God. We have to be people who welcome others to join us on this journey of developing a relationship with God. Did you notice what kind of tree the Bible says that Zacchaeus climbed into? 
It was a sycamore fig tree. I have a picture of a Middle Eastern sycamore fig tree there, kind of a, a big and wide tree with a lot of, a lot of leaf cover and first branches uh, maybe not, wouldn't even get started till, till eight or 10 feet or more up the tree. So I don't know if Zacchaeus had to get somebody to help launch him up to get a hold of that first branch or, or how Zacchaeus did it, but they're, they're big trees with a lot of cover. Now, if you're Zacchaeus and you're a grown man and you want to see Jesus, but you know you're not going to be accepted by the crowd, if you show up in the middle of the crowd to see Jesus and you're Zacchaeus, you know you're not going to find, you're not going to be very welcome. What do you do? Well, you get somewhere where you can go unnoticed, but somewhere where it feels safe, close enough that you can see, but where you can still go unnoticed and where it feels safe. And here's Jesus. He comes walking through this sea of people, and there are friends and fans and, and important people. There are religious people there. And it would be easy for Jesus to walk by that tree and never see anyone. It would be easy for Jesus to pay attention to only the people who are right in front of him in the middle of that crowd. I want you to catch this this morning. Do you know who Jesus is looking for in those moments? Jesus is looking for the wild card, the messy person hiding in the tree. That's who he's looking for. The person on the margin who's ready for a changed life, but not sure they deserve it. These are the people that Jesus is intentional about knowing, about noticing. You know, the Bible says that when he got to the spot, he looked up and addressed Zacchaeus. It was intentionality. Jesus was looking for him in the midst of a big tree. He said to him, Zacchaeus, we're going to spend the day together today. I'm coming to your house. This morning, I want you to hear the story of a guy who really believed that the roof would fall in on him if he came to church. He actually said that to me. I want you to hear Marcus' story this morning. Let's watch. For many years of my life, I was a wanderer in life. I did what I felt was right, what felt good to me. My life became completely out of control. It was only because of my faith in me that my life became this way. Finally, my faith in myself made me have to make changes or I was surely dead. I have dealt with untreated alcoholism since I was 16. In 2011, I decided that I wanted to take my life by drinking myself to death. By October, I was really sick and needed my doctor's help. I was finally honest with my doctor about my situation and he told me that I did not, if I did not stop drinking, that I would not survive another year. In my deep despair and darkness, I couldn't understand how this doctor could care so much about me. I drove across the 83 North Bridge coming back into Harrisburg and I asked God, if you are really up there, I could really use a miracle and this would be the time. I was broken and in despair and asked God to help me. My obsession to drink was lifted almost immediately. Unlike Zacchaeus, I didn't climb a tree to see Jesus. I peeked around the corner. I didn't want Jesus to see that a sinner such, such as myself would be present in such a worthy crowd of believers. I didn't believe that he would be interested or care for someone with such horrible moral defects such as myself. I was wrong. Daybreak and its followers in Christ have shown me that this is not true. I have been welcomed into a church family that cares and, and reaches out to its community and other faithless wanderers. I used to get so over, overwhelmed in church because I felt so unworthy. But now I think I was overwhelmed with the feelings of my 
father wrapping his arms around me and telling me to stay and that I am loved. You see, I'm no longer in the middle of the ocean without a map. I have a God that loves me. I understand that Christ died for my sins and what an unbelievable sacrifice for someone like me. I have a church family here at Daybreak that loves and uplifts me through my brokenness and messy seasons. I have had and am still going through turmoil and strife in my life, but I have been taught to lean into God and my church family and my recovery community. It is the polar opposite of what I have done for 19 years prior to my sobriety. I have had six and a half years of a life that ne I never thought that I deserved, and there have been some things that I have been blessed with that I have never thought would be humanly possible for a sinner like me. God has put so many people in my life to help me navigate and enrich my life here at Daybreak. I am right where I am supposed to be in this church and with this church family. God has a plan for me now. I just have to obey and listen. I would encourage anyone new to talk to a member of the staff at Daybreak to join a small group, give this church a month, and let the miracle happen. Thanks, Marcus, for sharing your story with us today. I appreciate that. This is one of the truths that we see consistently demonstrated throughout the life of Jesus. Jesus is on the lookout for people who are seeking God. Jesus is on the lookout for people who are seeking God. He's always been on the lookout for people who are seeking him, and he still is. He's always looked for people on the margins, but for people who desire God are seeking after him. So as a church, I want to ask you this morning, are we? Are we on the lookout for people who are seeking God? As a follower of Jesus, are you like Jesus in this way? That your life is looking for people on the margins. People who might not look like it, but people who are desperately seeking for God in their life. What does it take for us to live our lives on the lookout for people seeking God? Well, I don't really think it's that complicated. I really don't think it's that hard. Jesus gives us this direction. He says, as you go... Make disciples. It's known as Jesus' great commission for us as his followers. It's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. When you read the English translation, it says, go and make disciples. If you open your Bible, that's what it says. But in the original language that the New Testament was written in, in the Greek, it actually says, or has this meaning. It says, as you go, or as you are going, make disciples. That's what Jesus said to his, his disciples. That's what he said to his followers. As you are going, throughout your life, make disciples. In other words, whatever you're doing, wherever you're living, be on the lookout for people who are seeking God and then extend a hand to them. You know, I know that we're all busy with our jobs and our schoolwork and our families and everything. I get it. Life is full and sometimes we're just tired and, and we don't feel like talking to anyone or engaging with anyone. But what if it's not about that at all? What if it's not about not having time or being too busy or tired or feeling like you wouldn't know what to say or feeling like you're not social enough? What if God didn't intend for it to be about any of that? What if it's just about you and I seeking God every day of our lives ourselves and then helping the people who are around us take a step towards doing the same? What if that's all that God is asking of us? You know, our mission at Daybreak is to help people discover and deepen a life-changing journey with Jesus. And when we say that, we don't just mean on Sundays. We mean every day. As we go, we're on the lookout for people who are seeking God or who want to take a next step in their relationship with God. When Jesus notices Zacchaeus, do you know what he does? 
He invites himself over for dinner. <laughs> you might think that's a little bit bold, right? We actually teach our kids that that's not polite. We tell our kids, don't call your friends and invite yourself over. <laughs> Please don't do that. You know, I don't know what happened. Maybe Jesus' mom didn't raise him right. I'm not, no, that's not true. Listen, in Middle Eastern culture, it's very different than the culture we live in. In our culture, homes are, doors are closed, homes are guarded, they're, they're, they're private, personal space. In Middle Eastern culture, doors are wide open, and there is no greater honor than when someone says to you, I want to come and spend the day with you. I want to come to your house. What that spoke to Zacchaeus is, this guy has interest in me. He loves me. He cares about me. He wants to spend his time at my house with me. It's a powerful, powerful gesture that Jesus makes to Zacchaeus. And apparently, the Bible says Zacchaeus is incredibly excited about Jesus inviting himself over. That Zacchaeus' response is really strong. You know, when someone is seeking God, but they're not really sure what God thinks about them, which is probably most of our condition at one point or another, we're seeking God, but we weren't really sure about what God thinks about us. Do you know what people who are in that place need more than anything? They need a reassurance that God loves to step into the lives of messy people like them. They need the reassurance that God has grace for them. They need the reassurance that God has forgiveness for them. They need the reassurance that God is a father to them and it doesn't matter to them where they've been or what they've done. He's got a deep, deep desire to walk with them into a new place in their life. And maybe that's what you needed to hear this morning. Maybe that's why God has you here this morning. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, maybe you needed to be reminded this morning of how deeply God loves you, of how much God desires to spend time with you, to let you get to know him, to trust him as you walk further on that journey with him. Just seek him out because God loves to be found by people in trees. He loves to be found by people who are on the margins. He seeks you. You know, if you feel a little bit like Zacchaeus this morning, I want to pray this prayer for you, and I want to invite you to pray it along with me in your heart, just quietly right where you are. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? And pray this prayer with me. God, I feel like I'm on the margin. If I'm honest, I feel like I don't belong. But God, you say that I do belong, that I belong with you. And Jesus, I want to be loved and accepted by you. Would you please forgive me for my past? Would you give me a new day and a fresh start? I want to thank you in a new way for your grace in my life. I commit my life to following you. Thank you, Jesus, for welcoming me, for loving me, even when I feel like no one else does. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to take a moment and just pause at this point in the service and just give you an opportunity to hear God's invitation to you to come just as you are and to experience his love this morning. Let's just sit in this moment as we watch and listen.
earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. So lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All who are broken, lift up your face. Leslie for four years she's been a part of our staff and until this weekend I never knew she danced <laughs> I never knew it 
did an amazing job. Leslie's the person who likes to be behind the scenes, and so this is a big deal for her to step up and use her gifts and serve. And I just want to encourage all of you, that might be the kind of thing God's calling you to in this next season, to step out and say, God, there's more. There's more of the gifting, more of what you've given to me that I want to use for your kingdom. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Leslie. All right. Uh, I want you to see this this morning as we turn this corner and kind of bring the message home this morning. Jesus gladly welcomes Zacchaeus to a life-changing journey. He gladly extends this invitation. As a matter of fact, when you read through this, the story of Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, you can't help but feel the love that Zacchaeus must have been experiencing with Jesus' acceptance of him. Jesus' desire to be with him, desire to share life with him, to get to know him. But look who's not happy. Lots of people in the crowd aren't really happy about this. Look at verse 6. It says, So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. What did the crowd see in Zacchaeus? How did they know him? Well, they knew him as a cheater, as a traitor, a mess of a man. They saw him as someone who didn't deserve God. They would have looked at Zacchaeus and thought, there's no way that a guy like that would be seeking God. But when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, Jesus saw a man in need of God. Jesus saw someone whose heart wanted more. Jesus saw someone who needed a fresh start, someone who needed a new day. He saw someone who needed the love of God to transform him and change him. Jesus saw who Zacchaeus could be, not who Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was a wild card, but Jesus accepts him the way that he is, and he steps right into a relationship with him. He steps right in. I'm coming to your house. I know why you're here. You're seeking me. I see you on the margins, and I'm stepping in. Pay attention to verse 7. This is great. What does the crowd say? What's their great accusation of Jesus? They say, what's going on with Jesus? He hangs out with sinners. He loves people who need God most. He is a friend to people who are far from God. <laughs> Do you know what? I hope people say that about me. <laughs> I hope they say that about every member of our church family. I hope they say, there's a person who's kind and has grace towards and gives towards and shares life with and pours themselves into and is overly friendly to people who are far from God. I hope that's the accusation of our church family. People who need God the most. I'm okay with that because that's who Jesus is. Here's the problem. For most of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, we start to think that our, our life is pretty good, and then that transitions and we start to think that we're pretty good after a while. Have you ever compared yourself to someone and you thought of yourself just a little bit better than someone else? Yeah, hands don't go up really quickly, but we think that way. The other day was one of the really hot days, and I had to mow the lawn because our grass was like nine feet high. Okay, that's a stretch. Jason talked about last week. I do that sometimes. But the grass was really high, and I knew I had to get out and mow the lawn even though it was a hot day because that was my only window to do it. And so I, I mowed, and it, in the middle of mowing, I needed to go up to the store and get some more gas for the mower and a couple of other things. So I get up to the store, and I'm a sweaty mess, but I'm standing there and waiting in line, and in come a group of guys, and they're kind of loud and obnoxious, and, uh, you know, they're all... They're in dirty clothes, all torn up, and just kind of 
kind of making a scene. And I'm sitting back. I like the people watch anyway. So I'm sitting back. I'm kind of watching this group of guys, trying to figure them out. Like, who are they? What do they do for, what do they do for a living? Why are they here in the store? You know, that way. And so, I mean, I'm not proud of this. But real honestly, I sit back. I'm making this little assessment. And I go, okay, they're, they're kind of dressed pretty rough. Central Pennsylvania. Rednecks. That's where I landed. And then God gave me this moment of pause. And it's like I got a picture of myself standing there in the store with my sweaty mess, with my sleeves cut off the shirt, one of my son's basketball cut off shirts that I had borrowed from him. And, you know, I'm, I'm a disaster. I'm dripping with sweat. I got old pair of shorts on and, and I have grass still hanging to my, the hair on my legs from, from cutting the grass. And I'm thinking, I wonder what people around here are thinking about me, you know? I said, I know what they're thinking. Redneck, right. So, you know, but this is what's interesting. Don't we do that all the time with people morally? We judge others. We make these judgments on them, but we don't consider how we look to a perfect and holy and loving God who knows all of our junk and loves us just as we are in spite of it. You know, it's easy for us to forget how much you and I need grace every day of our lives. It's easy to forget the price, the price that was paid so that we could experience grace so that we could live free from the weight of our sin, so that we could walk beyond it. We forget sometimes. We forget how much grace we each need. And if you're going to welcome, if you and I are going to welcome everyone to join us on this journey, we must learn to be accepting of others the way that Jesus is accepting of us. That's the next blank in your outline. We must learn to be accepting of others in the way that Jesus is accepting of us. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Romans 5.8, and it says that while you and I were still sinners, while you and I were still lost, while we were in the middle of rejecting God, while we were far away from him, when we weren't even thinking about him, Christ died for us. Right in the middle of our mess, right in the middle of our need of grace, he died for us. You know, you and I can't hold up under the scrutiny of God's perfection. We can't. We might think we're pretty good people, but Jesus says it's not just the stuff you do, but the things you think, the things that you feel. Sometimes it's the things you don't even say that fall short of God's perfect love. Jesus raised the bar on church people all the time. He raised the bar on religious people all the time. It drove people crazy. They didn't want to hear it. Sometimes I don't want to hear it either. Jesus would pull the religious people aside and remind them that if they ever hated someone, even without acting on that, that it was the same as murdering that person. And they're like, oh, come on. Jesus reminded them that if if I look at another woman and even begin to think about what the possibilities are there, that it's the same thing as me committing adultery with them. Jesus reminded us that it's not just how we live on the outside of the decisions we make, it's, it's what's happening inside of our heart. It's that reminder of our need of grace. We all need reminding that even with all our efforts towards our own morality, we still desperately need God. Jesus doesn't accept us because we're good. Jesus accepts us because he is good. And that's the essence of the gospel. That's the good news for you and for me and for anyone else who's seeking God. And Zacchaeus feels the love here. Here's what happens during dinner. Zacchaeus stands up and he makes this very public and heartfelt announcement. In verse 8, it says, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, would you circle the word Lord if you have it open there? Would you circle that? And here's why that's important. Notice that Zacchaeus had already declared Jesus the Lord of his life. He was also already referring to him as Lord. He had already experienced life change 
as a result of Jesus' love for him and his ability to receive that, to be accepted by Jesus. And look at the change that has happened in Zacchaeus as a result. Zacchaeus says, Here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, which was probably Zacchaeus' understatement of his lifetime, if I had cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Do you understand what Zacchaeus is saying here? Do you understand how powerful this is? What a demonstration of life change this is for Zacchaeus? He had given his whole life to the pursuit of wealth. He became a traitor to his people so that he could be rich. Being wealthy was his number one goal, his security, his sense of purpose. He cashed in everything to achieve that goal. And in one bold statement, in front of everyone at his own home, he announces that he's surrendering it all. And I want to ask you this morning, what do you think it was that made Zacchaeus have that kind of drastic life change? Did Jesus privately convince Zacchaeus to surrender his wealth to the poor through some intellectual argument that he had with him that's not recorded in the chapter? Did Jesus give Zac a little moral talk, a little moral ethical conversation that we don't have record of in Scripture that convinced Zacchaeus to repent and to live differently? No, we know just what the Bible tells us. It was Jesus' irresistible love. It was Jesus' unrelenting compassion to meet people right where they are, people like Zacchaeus, that made Zacchaeus want to accept the life that Jesus was offering. Zacchaeus repented because Jesus welcomed him, because Jesus accepted him, because Jesus offered forgiveness to him right where he was, and Jesus said, come follow me, I want to be in a relationship with you. For us, Love is something that we do. But for God, love is something that he is. We love him perfectly because we try to love. But the Bible says that God is love and that his love is perfect. And there's, there's nothing that we can do to earn or deserve that. When we come into the presence of God and we're able to receive it, he loves us perfectly because it's who he is. He doesn't have to try to love you today. He doesn't have to try. He can't not love you. He is love. And he loves you perfectly. So any doubts or questions that you had about your ability to be loved by God or his love for you, if you believe the word of God is true, and if you look at the life of Jesus, and you look at the lives of transformed people all over the planet, you recognize that God is love. It's an awesome thing. Have you ever said what Zacchaeus said? Jesus, thank you so much for loving me as I am, for calling me to be so much more than I am. I give up the most important things in my life to experience the life change that you want me to have. I'm going to reorder my whole life around building that relationship with you. That was the prayer, essentially, that Zacchaeus prayed by what we see in his life. That's what Jesus is all about. That's what we have always been about as a church. This is our greatest commitment as a church, is helping people to discover and deepen a life-changing journey, a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And so as his church, he has commissioned us. As we go, as we're going, we should make disciples. That's our greatest purpose as his followers. You know, this morning, your greatest purpose is not to get ahead in life, to make money, and to have no debt. That is not your greatest purpose in life. 
It's not to be perfect parents who have happy kids and a perfect home that looks like everybody else thinks that they want in life. That's not your greatest purpose. Your greatest purpose is not to be a good person. Your greatest person is, purpose is not to be nice. Those are all good things, but they're not our mission. Our mission is to reach people and disciple them so that they can go on the same life-changing journey with Jesus that we're experiencing. Some of you might remember that when Daybreak first got started, in the first decade of our church family, we were a reaching church. Uh, Daybreak is 19 years old this fall. 19 years ago this fall, we got started. But when we first got started, a lot of people came to Jesus in that first decade. Some people may have accused us of being a little bit light on the discipleship side, okay? We got named, because our church grew quickly and a lot of people came to Christ, we got branded a seeker church. And that was a really bad thing, I guess, uh, that we were labeled that way. But we were reaching people, and it was an incredible privilege to see so many people who were far from God make a decision to put their faith and trust in Jesus and go on this life-changing journey with him. It was an amazing season. We got to see people every week, not just in our services, but throughout the week, laying down, surrendering to God, laying down their life and saying, God, I want to follow you. And our church grew tremendously in that time. Well, we got into our second decade. I like to call it our pre-adolescent and our adolescent years. And we got kind of lanky and awkward as a church, you know, our preteen years. And we became a, a little bit inward focused, a little bit self-centered. Not all teenagers do that, but we did as a church, okay? We all had to grow a little bit more. We had to understand what it meant to be emotionally healthy. We had to learn what it meant to love each other well. We had to learn how to help each other grow deeper in a relationship with God. Because God had more for us than what we had experienced to that point. And this is why I'm so excited about this season that we're moving into as a church family because I believe that we're poised and ready to become the grown-up, mature version of the church family that God has planned for us to be, both reaching and discipling, both helping people discover and helping them deepen a life-changing journey with God. And, you know, I see us reaching again as a church. It's been a fun year to meet people who come in our doors through the community impact ministries. When we made a decision a year ago to turn our ministries outward, we've had so many people come in who have a need that needs to be met, and then we get to know them as people who are seeking God as well. It's been fun to meet people that you all invite, like the waitress in the restaurant that some of you go to that I met a few weeks ago, or someone at work, or someone at the gym, someone that you invited to seek God alongside of you. It's been incredible to meet those people. It's been cool to hear the stories of how you are sharing your story of life change with other people. A couple weeks ago, I had a woman come up to me and she said, can you believe, she's been a Christian for a year or two now, and she said, can you believe that I actually had a group ask me to come and share with them why I'm not so angry anymore? And so she went and shared this with the group and she said, if I would have come into this group a couple years ago and you would have looked at me crooked, I would have sworn a blue streak at you and I told you all kinds of things. And then she gave an example of what she would have said a couple years ago. She said, but God's changed me. I'm not an angry person anymore. He took away my anger. I love hearing stories like that. She's sharing her story with others and God's using it powerfully. I see us reaching again and I see us discipling. I see us helping people deepen their relationship with Jesus through digging deep into God's word, through our passion for prayer as a church family together, through spiritual formation. I see it happening through small groups, life on life, when people are, are sharpening each other and helping people deepen their walk with Jesus. I see it through us using our gifts 
for the glory of God through us finding our sweet spot, the way that God designed us to serve and minister to others. And when we do that, God uses it powerfully, not only in the lives of others, but to grow us as well, to develop us, to understand what our purpose is and how he made us and how he built us. This past week, I got to talk with a couple whose marriage is healing because a husband and wife have been so deeply engaged with God that they've stopped trying to get something from each other and instead they're serving each other. And that may sound so basic, but when you're in a marriage where you feel like you're trying to get from each other, you understand that spirals where that goes. And they said, we're just, we're loving where we are because God's done this work of transformation and now we see this marriage as a way to serve each other. We're, we're getting what we need from God. It's powerful. I love the church that we're becoming, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do in us as we continue to surrender to him, as we continue to be obedient individually and together as a church family. You know, our core values are unique to us as a church, but they're all based on the life of Jesus. All four of them are based on the character and the person of Jesus. We can only say that everybody's welcome here because Jesus said, everyone is welcome to follow me. Everyone is welcome in my presence. Everyone is welcome to go on the journey with me. And that was Jesus' invitation to Zacchaeus, and it's Jesus' invitation to everyone. No matter who you are, or where you've been, or what you've done, the Bible says that Jesus didn't come for those who are healthy. He came for those who are sick. Jesus didn't come for those who were found. He came for those who were lost. Jesus didn't come for those who were in the, dark, in the light. He came for those who were in the dark so that they could experience his light and his transformation. You are welcome to follow Jesus with us. Come as you are, Jesus says, and you'll experience my love and your life will be changed as you follow me. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I think there might be a couple of different ways God might be prompting you to respond this morning. Some of you might need to respond to Jesus' invitation to come to him today, to come as you are and follow him. Maybe like Zacchaeus, you need to trust that you're welcome to come as you are and let the love of Jesus transform your life. Maybe it's time for you to get out of the tree this morning and respond to Jesus' invitation. He wants to come to your house. Or maybe your response is different today. Maybe you need to start looking for people who are in trees. Maybe God is calling you to start looking for people who might not look like they're seeking God, but they are. And maybe you're asking yourself, does my life say to people on the margins, people who are seeking God, people who are rough or callous or hurting, does my life say you're welcome in my life? I want to be with you on the journey. I want you to experience God's love through me and let him change your life too, just like he's changed mine. Maybe you're asking yourself, does my heart break for people in my everyday life the way that God's heart breaks for people who are still lost and don't know him? God, would you give me your heart for people today? Maybe that's your prayer. Lord Jesus, as we come before you this morning, we want to say thank you for your love that welcomes us in. Thank you for your love that is, is who you are and was so pivotal in each of us being willing to take that step of faith and allowing us to embrace this new life with you. 
We thank you for that, Lord. And today, God, would you help us have your eyes and your heart for others who are seeking you so that we can notice them too.